Lynn Sullivan of Tupelo, Mississippi, shares a story. In the mid-1980s, my family moved to northern Saskatchewan to start a church. As a church planter, part of my support was funded by the local mission. Most months, we were financially difficult. One week in April, when the ground was still frozen and the snow still covered the ground, we were, we were down to a few dollars in the bank. Our usual reaction was to, to look for our own solution. This time, however, in a, well, in a stroke of faith, I went before God and told him that I needed, I needed eggs and bread and milk, and I would wait on him. That afternoon, a man came to my little fix-it shop with a leaky tea kettle. He said, I know I could get a new one, but it's my favorite kettle. Please, can you fix it? In just a matter of minutes, the job was done, and, well, I didn't even charge him for it. It was so easy. But he pulled out a $10 bill, and he insisted that I take it. It just so happened that it was exactly enough for me to buy a gallon of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread. As he left, with a bit of pride in my faith decision, I thanked God. I thanked him so much. To which he replied to me, don't you wish you had asked for a side of beef? Let me ask you this question this morning as we get started. How good are you at prayer? That might seem like a strange question. How good are you at prayer? Maybe a better way to ask this is, is how dependent are you upon prayer? Seriously, how dependent are you upon prayer in your life? Not just on occasion or when you're desperate, but something that's a key to your everyday life. Something that happens because it's a passionate display of your heart before God, not, not just because it's a habit or, or convenient or an act of desperation in your lowest time, but it's just, it's just who you are every day. Here's something I want you to think about, because people, I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of folks, if God already knows everything, what's the point in prayer? God already knows what I'm thinking and what I'm wanting, I don't really have to say it, right? I don't really have to get on my knees and, and talk this prayer out. God already knows what I'm thinking, right? What's the point of prayer? If you want to follow along in your outline in your bulletin, feel free. I want you to fill this in first. Prayer is not for the purpose of informing God. Prayer is not for the purpose of informing God. Actually, prayer is, a, is an act of faith. Biblical prayer is an act of faith, and it's an expression of dependence on God. Prayer is not about informing him of our needs and our desires and our wants and our, and our hurts and our pains. And it's, it's an act, an expression of faith and, and dependence on him. And so today as we talk about this, I want us to look at the scripture that we looked at last week. As we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're kind of marching through these, these chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew where Jesus teaches, it's about 20, 25 minute sermon if you read it straight through, where Jesus teaches people and ultimately what he's doing is he's saying, you've had the law for a while now, 
But I want you to understand why you have the law. I want you to understand the heart. I want you to understand what it means to be a follower of me. What it means to be a child of God. Not just to have a religion that you claim. Not just to have a bunch of rules laid out for you to follow. But to understand what the heart behind it all is. What does it really mean to be a Christ follower? What does it really mean to live your daily life as a child of God? Last week we took a look at Matthew 6.1. Look at this passage right here. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And last week we kind of started off talking a little bit about that. And he used, Jesus used the example of giving to the needy. Do it in a private way. Do it from your heart. Not out of obligation. Not as a show before others to show that you're all holy and spiritual. Do it because that's really a reflection of your heart. And today he continues the teaching off of this verse. He gives us another example. He gives us another example of what it looks like not just to follow some kind of religious obligation and duty but to really come before God and give him all of our heart. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus wants us to understand that there's a difference between being a religious person and being a genuine, true child of God. I believe prayer, and this is what Jesus goes into in these next few verses we're going to discuss today, is something that's greatly misunderstood and misused by many, not only outside the church, but inside the church as well. And I think it's an important conversation that we have today. Here's a thought I want you to think about. To take prayer, an expression, an honest, passionate expression of your heart before God, and to water it down to anything less than that, would be about as insulting as, as taking your wife on an intimate date to a sports bar where you watch the game and ignore her the whole time. And I want you to think about that, because I've been guilty of that. <laughs> you see, today, we're going to walk through Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 18. We're going to walk through them verse by verse. But we're not just going to talk about prayer. I want to go ahead and warn you right up front. Today, we're not just going to talk about prayer. We're going to practice it together. You see, I, I don't really find much purpose in you sitting and listening to me talk about prayer without us actually applying it and going before God on our knees. And today, we're going to do that together. We're going to do it as a church, and, and we're going to take our time doing it. Because there's really only so much that needs to be said. Jesus already said it, really. And we're going to do it. What I hope is that by the time you leave today, you have a renewed understanding and passion for what it means to go before God in prayer, on your knees, passionately giving him your heart. So let's jump right in. Let's look at the text. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start with Matt verses 5 and 6. Let's talk about the. We're just going to take these verse by verse today. No real outline to this. We're just going to kind of walk through this passage, verses 5 through 18. Let's start with the first two verses. It says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in their synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's the first thought on what Jesus is saying there. This is kind of how I condensed it to understand it. Prayer is a personal conversation with God. Fill that in your blank. Prayer is a personal conversation 
with God. It's not some kind of ritual that we go through to fulfill a religious duty. It's not an item on a checklist that we have to be marked off each and every day. Jesus was not saying, now I want you to understand that Jesus wasn't saying that public prayer is a bad thing or that corporate prayer with the church is wrong or forbidden. When he talks about going into our room to pray, what he's talking about is something entirely different. You see, we find many examples of scripture where the church came together for prayer, when people prayed together corporately, when they prayed in public. Jesus wasn't, when he said these words, wasn't forbidding public prayer. Acts 4, 23 and 24 is a perfect proof of this in the early church. Uh, when Peter and John had been arrested and were released and came back to the church, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they did what? They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And I can't imagine what a beautiful picture that was. And the scripture goes on to record what that prayer was. But I can't imagine what that looked like for a church to come. Prayer together is a beautiful thing. Now, we have to understand that Jesus is, uh, is, is trying to make the point, not that public prayer is bad or wrong. He's making the point that prayer is not for the purpose of, of showing others how holy you are or how righteous you are. Prayer is not for the purpose of, of making yourself look good. Prayer is for the purpose of conversation with God of bearing your heart and soul to him. We can do that together, you know. We can do that in the privacy of our room. But Jesus' point was to say, I want you to understand what prayer is all about. And it has nothing to do with making a show for others. Let's look at the next couple of verses, Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, this is an important point, I think, when we look at prayer, and I think sometimes we miss it. Prayer is a form of worshiping God. Prayer is a form of worshiping God. Pagan worship, and Jesus was referring not only to pagan worship in this point, he was referring to pagan worship, but he was also referring to the type of prayer and worship that the Pharisees had been practicing and teaching people about how to pray. But Jesus was referring to this, and I think it's important to understand that pagan worship included a couple things. And this is what Jesus was talking about. First of all, included repetition to get the attention of their God. You see, in, this, in, in, the, in the polytheistic cultures that existed before this time, they had all these different gods, the gods of the weather and the gods of the crops and the gods of everything. And they felt like they had their certain gods that they felt like they could that they were special to them and they wanted their attention. And they felt like the way to get the attention of their God was to be very repetitious, saying it over and over again, and even saying it louder and louder so that maybe they would be heard by their God. And it sounds kind of silly to us because we don't necessarily practice it that way today or even understand it, but, but they believed that that's how they did it. And once their God heard them, they had to even be louder and more repetitious to keep their God's attention because apparently their gods back then were ADHD. And so they, they just couldn't focus. You see, another reason the pagans babbled on and repeated and did this was there was an idea that there was magic or power in some of their words. And the more that those special words were repeated, the more powerful their prayers were. And I know you may not think this right off the bat, but I think this is something that we still see in our modern prayers today. 
when people use certain phrases or words as if they're the magic words, that repeating them makes their prayer stronger. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, I think we all, if, if you were raised in the church, I, won't, I can't say all, I think most of us, if you were raised in the church, you probably end your prayer how? In Jesus' name, amen, right? I want you to think about this. There's no special power in using the phrase in Jesus' name. That we're never said that we have to do it. It never says that it makes prayer, your prayer more powerful, but we all do it. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think the point Jesus would have made when he said, don't go on babbling and keep on repeating yourselves and talking like the pagans do, is I think he would have been saying, if you're going to say in Jesus' name, make sure your prayer is actually in Jesus' name. Uh, you don't actually have to say it for it to be in Jesus' name, does it? Do you? I mean... I think the point here is this. When we're coming before God, don't ramble off a series of incoherent phrases and then think because I say in Jesus' name, all of a sudden everything's going to get granted. I, I'll be honest with you. I've prayed many times and then like, like maybe fallen asleep or something. Have you ever prayed and fallen asleep? <laughs> Raise your hand. Yeah. Uh, I prayed and fell asleep and realized I didn't say Jesus' name, so I thought the prayer was invalid. You know? <laughs> Dang it, i got to do it again. And then I'm dozing off again. And I mean, the, the challenge is to stay awake for the Jesus name part, right? Now, you see, that, that's, we laugh about it, but the point is this. Saying certain phrases over and over and over again really doesn't give any more power to the prayer. It's understanding that I'm communicating with the God of the universe. It's coming before him and knowing that I'm doing it because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for me on the cross. I'm, my prayer is heard and understood and, and welcomed by God because I'm his child. That's how I pray in Jesus' name. So I'm not saying don't use the phrase. I'm just saying make sure we understand what the phrase is all about. Does that make sense? When we come before God, let's give him our heart. You see, meaningless repetition signifies a dependence on myself to manipulate and badger God into compliance. I wonder sometimes, not again, not that they're bad things, but I wonder about our mealtime and our bedtime prayers. Are they just words and repetition, or do they hold meaning in your heart? Are they an expression of your heart before God? Another form of prayer that I think sometimes we overlook is prayer is singing and worship. I want you to think about it. Do the words, which are, when we're singing worship songs, whether it's here or in your car or on the radio or whatever, when we're singing worship songs, they are a form of prayer. And I wonder this. I wonder if they mean anything when you're singing them and, and saying them. Are you more focused on whether or not you like the tune or the musical style? Are you just sitting through the singing part of our service as a necessary evil to get to the end of the service? Or are you truly praying and worshiping God with the songs of worship? God doesn't want us singing and praising him with mindless repetition. He certainly doesn't want us gauging whether our worship is dependent on whether we like the song or not, or whether we like the style of music or not. He wants to know our heart. 
He wants to know that when we're singing praise to him, it's a reflection of our heart. And that we're giving him everything. And I wonder, today, did you approach our time of worship that way? Every chance you get to sing songs of praise to him, is it a prayer that's coming from your heart? Please analyze that. Because God desperately wants to hear you. He doesn't really care what song we're playing or what the band sounds like. He wants to hear from you. He wants to know your heart. And so we get into the next section of this passage in Matthew 6, 9. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now I think it's important to note here the irony of Jesus saying, don't be like pagans babbling on and repeating prayer, but here's one to repeat and follow. The Lord's Prayer is perhaps the most repeated prayer. and It is the most, okay. Jesus isn't saying, Repeat this prayer over and over again and you're good to go. What he's saying is, pray like this. Here's an example. Here is a great way to show your heart before God. We are to pray like Jesus prayed, but not necessarily what Jesus prayed. The Lord's Prayer isn't a magic formula. It's an example. Prayer begins with God's glory above all else. That's what we learn from that first phrase. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Prayer begins with God's glory before him, before everything else. Words and descriptions and declarations of just how awesome and amazing God really is. He wants us to begin our prayer by saying, God, before I ask you for anything, before I make a single request, I want you to know you are the most amazing being in the universe. I want to praise you. I want to give you all my worship and praise. And so what I'm going to ask you to do right now is I want us to spend a couple minutes praising God in this way. I want you to find, this is, and for the next 15 minutes or so, this is going to be your prayer team your prayer group. I want you to find a couple people sitting around you, maybe three or four people, that you're going to form a prayer group with. Go ahead and do that right now. If you need to slide over or something, go ahead and do that. But we're actually going to practice prayer together this morning. We're not just going to listen to a sermon about it and go home and forget it. So form a small prayer group right now. And you're going to stay in these groups for the next 15 minutes or so as we walk through this prayer and do it together. So here's the first thing I want you to do. Up on the screen it tells you this first prayer thing This isn't necessarily you praying out loud together right now. As a group, I just want you to together talk about and come up with as many words and descriptions of God as you can with your group. Let these words be a form of worship. Just share with each other descriptions, words, praises that describe who God is to you. That might be kind of weird at first if you're not used to doing this, but take a moment. Do that together. Give God some glory with this. Go ahead and do that. I'll give you a couple minutes.
I wonder what it would be like, and I know I'm cutting you a little short, but when I see somebody start talking about Applebee's, I know it's time to move on. And so, <laughs> but I know as we go through this prayer time, you know, I'm going to cut these a little shorter because this is something for you to really practice on your own. But I just want to give you a chance to see some examples of it. But how awesome could your prayer time be? How honored is God when you just begin with giving him all the glory and praise? Just for a few minutes, forgetting about what you came in the first place for, and you probably had a list. But to say, God, first of all, I want to acknowledge this is all about you. Let's look at 610, the next part of the prayer. 610 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I find it interesting. Your kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. Think about what he's saying. This. Jesus is saying heaven's already a perfect place. God's will is already being done in heaven. Our prayer is that God's will will be done here among us. Now we know that won't fully happen until Christ returns. And so in one sense we are calling on the return of the Father, on the return of the Son, on the return of God, of Jesus to come be with us. But we're also praying this. You see, I believe there's an aspect of this prayer that's not just about Jesus' ultimate return. He's praying about his kingdom come, his will being done through his saints, the church. What I believe is he's calling on us to fulfill our responsibility as the church. And when we pray, we're praying, God, may your will be done through us. That we fulfill our responsibility of your kingdom here. Guys, that's what the Great Commission's all about. We pray for Jesus to return, but we pray that he leads us and that he guides us to build his kingdom here on earth. His kingdom is represented by the church. He is calling on us to be kingdom builders by building his church here on this earth. We need his help to do it, and we pray for it. A surgical assistant tells this story. He says, I am a surgical assistant, the surgeon's right-hand man. At one point in my career, I lost my passion. I wanted a job with spiritual significance, and I prayed for that. Imagine my shock when God led me to a position in plastic surgery. Why would God want me in a hot bit of vanity, I wondered. During my quiet times, the Lord assured me that this was part of his plan and that I should wait for his direction. So I obeyed, continuing to pray that the Lord would use me in this job. The first directive when I started my new position from God was to gather and pray in my name. There would only be a few Christians who worked in that plastic surgery department, but I started with them. Guys, I'm going to start praying for our workplace each Monday, 15 minutes before we clock in, I told them. I'll be in operating room two, and, well, I hope you'll join me. We met each week praying for our work, our colleagues, and our patients. And soon, we were praying boldly for opportunities to witness. By the end of that year, God had answered many prayers, which included 10 friends who accepted Christ as their Savior. God has given me a purpose far beyond patient care. He expanded my circle of influence by transferring me into the main surgery department, where I now rotate through all four departments in the hospital campus. 
I have started several prayer groups throughout the hospital. Each group focuses on inviting the Holy Spirit to move in their department. We encourage each other in Christ, pray for opportunities to witness, seek God's will, and ask that Christ be glorified in our work. Since I realized that I could advance the kingdom of God through praying at work, I have found renewed passion for my job as well as for the opportunities for the ministry it provides. I wonder how often we genuinely pray for God's will to be done for his kingdom to be done and recognize that when we pray that prayer we're not just praying something out for God to do randomly we're saying God use me work through me to build your kingdom work through me that your will might be done here are you bold enough to pray that prayer are you bold enough to to let him build his kingdom through you wherever You go at work, at school, in your neighborhood, right here in our church. There's more to praying his will be done than you thought it in there. What I'm going to ask you to do is in your prayer groups, pray that the worldwide church and our congregation here in Monroe will be focused on building God's kingdom. Pray for God's guidance and the power of his spirit. Pray for his will to be done through you. I want you to take a moment and actually pray those prayers together in your groups. Go ahead. I'm, I know, I, again, I apologize if I'm cutting you short, but I just, we, you know, I heard Applebee's again, so we're moving along.
give us today, give us today our daily bread. 611, the next part of the prayer. Prayer, we've already said this once, acknowledges our dependence upon God. Prayer acknowledges our dependence upon God. Of course God knows what we need for food and shelter. He knows our most basic needs. He knows everything before we ask it. He knows it before we said it. But prayer isn't about informing God. It's about calling on him and depending on him. You see, I believe this part of the prayer highlights why Jesus later says to the rich young ruler and his disciples that are around him that it's very difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, when you're your own, when you are your own God and become convinced that you can provide everything for yourself, what need do you have of God and his provisions? You see, even with means to provide our own food and shelter, which many of us have, are you still fully dependent on God for everything? Do you really come before him and give him all the glory? It's so easy when, when you work and, and you've, you've earned the money that you have and you go to the grocery store and you buy that food and you pay the rent and, or the mortgage and you have the roof over your head and to be able to look and say, I worked for that, I earned it, I did it myself. But to really be able to step back and say, but I know none of it would be possible without God and his provision in my life. Do you have that kind of dependence on God? Or are you living and functioning every day as your own God, knowing and thinking that you did it all on your own? You see, when I come before God and I say, give me today my daily bread yeah I might be able to go out and afford my own loaf but I know without God none of it matters none of it's possible and today I'm going to ask you to spend a couple minutes expressing your dependence on God call on him for your most basic needs pray together about that right now
Matthew 6.12 continues in this prayer where Jesus says, And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And I think it's important to understand here that Jesus isn't talking about money. He's talking about the debt that we all have formed with the sin in our life. It's interesting that he goes on in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, just a couple of verses later, which I think is a direct reference and connection to this passage. It says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. You see, prayer recognizes our sin and our need for salvation. When we come before God in prayer, Jesus is saying, acknowledge before God, A, that you're not perfect and you know it. Call on his grace and mercy. Call on his forgiveness. Also understand, start to view your world through those kind of eyes. I'm not perfect, and I need grace every day. And you know what? The people around me, maybe someone who's wronged me, maybe someone who's hurt me deeply, they're not perfect either. They need grace too. And Jesus is saying, man, offer the grace the way it's been given to you. Can you go before God and pray for forgiveness and call upon God's forgiveness and also recognize that part of that process is understanding and giving grace where it's needed to others in your life? That's the hard part of that prayer. Today, in your prayer groups, I want you I want you to pray for forgiveness and a heart that's ready to extend grace to those who have wronged you. You don't have to name names in your groups. But if right now, when you call on God's forgiveness for you, if you need your heart melted and broken because you need to extend grace to someone in your life right now, Pray for God to melt and break your heart for that. I'll give you just a couple minutes to pray that together in your groups.
as we uh, pray a prayer of forgiveness, as we go before God acknowledging our sin, I think it's important that we do acknowledge our sin personally, privately, between us and him uh, specifically. If we're not willing to acknowledge our specific sin, then how can we repent of it? I think it's important that we come before God and we do name our sins to him. And we spend some time reflecting on it, not to, not to beat ourselves up and to feel terrible about it, but to acknowledge before God, I recognize my sin and I want to repent of it in my life. As I do that, it's an important practice. I just wanted to throw that in for extra. Totally free today. 6.13, the last part of this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. See, prayer calls on God's protection. This is a prayer that says, I know I'm going to be tempted today, and I know that I need the Holy Spirit of God to protect me, to guide me, and to convict me when I'm being led to sin. But we must realize this only works, and I need you to hear this, this only works when we're willing to listen to the Holy Spirit when we're in the midst of temptation. We can pray all day long for God's protection, but if we're going to ignore him when we face temptation, it isn't going to help. He will give you everything you need to stand up to temptation if you're willing to obey him when he speaks. I think that's an important lesson to learn. That it isn't just God take my temptation away, it's God help me be obedient when I do face that temptation when your spirit speaks to me. Our last prayer in your groups this morning, I want to ask you to pray for protection from temptation and pray for the wisdom to listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Go ahead and pray that prayer. Today, as we come to one more example Jesus gives about not necessarily letting our righteousness shine before others, but do it in such a way that gives real honor and glory to God. He talks about Matthew 6, 16 and 18. And I just want to include this today and today's thought about prayer is a passage about fasting. 
And I just want to talk briefly about it for a second. It says this, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces and show to others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen, as your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I want to talk just a second. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that we see just a few times in the New Testament. Never is fasting presented as a requirement for Christians. I want to make that clear. There's no New Testament teaching on how often we should fast or uh, how long we should fast. But Jesus mentions it here primarily because it was a very common Jewish practice. The Pharisees did it twice a week. There was a time that was used to spend depriving their body of food and nourishment for the purpose of focusing on Scripture and prayer. Now, Fasting is a good thing. But the hypocrites were using it as a display of their righteousness and holiness, not as a time of sacrifice and focusing on their relationship with God. Is fasting a requirement? No. But is it good? Yeah. We've seen, we, we saw at Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry do it for 40 days. It's a good spiritual discipline to practice. But it's not for showing off for others to see and know about. You see, sometimes people will fast before making a big decision or before starting something new in their life. People might fast when an urgent petition or need arises in their life or someone close to them. Sometimes people might fast as just a time to refocus and recommit themselves to the Lord. And I think it could be a very good, healthy practice. Other types of fast besides food that sometimes people will use is maybe taking a time to fast from media or television. Maybe they take a time to fast from sexual contact. Maybe they, they fast in a, t- a period of solitude where they isolate themselves from everyone else for a period of time. Those are just a few examples. But fasting can be used in powerful ways to develop your relationship with God. Jesus uses it here not to say it's a command that has to be a part of your daily life. He's simply saying why we do it. He's illustrating the bigger point that we've been making for the last few weeks. Understand that God doesn't want you pretending to be religious and trying to put up a front that is designed to fool people into thinking you're religious. He wants to have a real, intimate, personal relationship with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to hear from you. Praying from your heart is an intimate expression of love and dependence on God, and it is deeply personal and private. And God desires to have this with you every day. Right now I'm going to ask the praise band to come on up and get in place because we're going to do our invitation time a little different today. You guys, come on up. In the spirit of everything we've been doing, I'm going to ask that today, don't stand and sing with us. We do an invitation each week, and we kind of use it as a closing song. But really, I want it to be a response. I want it to be a time where you're responding to what you've heard. Maybe God is impressed on you somehow, some way, how he wants to hear your heart. And so we're just going to sing a song and, uh, and we're just going to have it playing, but I'm going to ask that you stay right where you are. 
If you need to get down on your knees, you can. If you need to find a space where you're a little alone, fine. But I'm going to ask you to go before God. And we're not praying now in groups. We're just praying between you and him. I want you to use this time while we're singing this song to say, God, here's my heart. I want to worship you and glorify you. I want to call on your kingdom. I want you to use me to build your kingdom. I want you to provide my needs. And I trust you for those. I want forgiveness and I want you to help me forgive others. And I need your protection. Spend some time going through this prayer. Use this as your chance to say, God, I'm coming before you with a pure, genuine heart. I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer right now.